How many is ready to worship the Lord in the Word today? Amen? I want you to turn with me to John chapter 20. Just keep your, uh, keep your finger right there saved on that page, and let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, we thank you today for this time that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for the words that have been spoken over us, the encouragement, the worship that we've had. Holy Spirit, you come and inhabit our, inhabited our praise. We know that you're here today. I pray, Father God, now that you'd help us to stay in focus, not get distracted, not pull out our phones and, and start looking at different things that are going on in the world or, or thinking about what we're going to do later on this afternoon or even what we've brought into this place that, that maybe has been a lot of weariness and distractions that would try to steal away, really, the opportunity that we have to, to equip ourselves in your word today. We need a word from you today. We need to be equipped from you today. We need to be encouraged and strengthened. We need some guidance. We need some admonition. We need you, Jesus, to show up today and let this word that you're going to share with us be a now word that we can walk out so that we can just say not that we've had church, <clears throat> but that we can go out and be the church from this place uh, more effectively for you, a representation, more effectively for you, trusting you, more effectively honoring you, more effectively living for you and being salt and light in this, in this, in this generation, in this dark and, uh, and, and decaying world. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for, again, showing us what this looks like today. And we give you this time and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we started kind of a, a mini-series within a series. We've been talking about dining with Jesus. And uh, last week the Lord showed me uh, uh, one of the meals that Jesus had was uh, after he rose from the dead and he was walking along the path. Well, he actually caught, uh, intersected a couple of guys walking to, to Emmaus, which is just outside of Jerusalem. And um, they didn't recognize him. And eventually they did when he broke the bread they recognized it was Jesus, and then he disappeared in their sight. Uh, but that was a meal uh, that was taking place, a lot of meals taking place uh, where Jesus was hanging around people eating, and ministry was taking place. Uh, we talked about this last week, though, about uh, the questions that he asked. The first question that he asked uh, the, the two guys is, as he intersected them is, what are you talking about? And if you weren't here last Sunday, it's just real quick, uh, kind of a review is uh, we can talk about current events, we can talk about other people, we can talk about ourselves. There's a lot of things we can talk about that'll distract us away from the real purpose of what we're here to accomplish and what we're to realize in Christ. And what Jesus was able to do with these two men was he was able to take them at their point of distraction and at their point of discouragement. And he said to them, hey, didn't you know that the scripture said that these things needed to take place in Jesus' life in order for God's uh, purposes to be fulfilled. And it says that Jesus took them, starting with Moses and the Old Testament prophets, and led them through the different prophecies about the Messiah, and it brought them to a place where their, their hearts began to stir, and they began to get excited, and they began to get refocused on, on really the big picture the eternal picture of what God is doing in this world today. And it got them so excited that they left their place that they were staying and the meal that was sitting in front of them when Jesus broke the bread and they immediately went back to Jerusalem and they were able to tell the disciples, we just saw Jesus. He, he spoke to us and he, here's the things that he said. And one of the things that he said that was really key to last week's message was didn't our hearts burn? 
Wasn't our hearts stirred? And I hope that you've been able to have your hearts stirred, not just on a Sunday morning here as we gather, but every day when you get alone and get together with God, just you and Jesus Christ and Him ministering to your heart through His Word and through prayer and through time with Him, that He stirs your heart on a daily basis and He keeps your focus on why we exist. We're here to love Him and to love others. We're here to be a representative of Him to the world, an ambassador of Jesus Christ in this land. Jesus always points us back to the hope that we have and the promises that we have in his word. Amen? And I hope that our hearts will burn and get excited and we can't keep from telling others about Jesus Christ. So this week, uh, it, it's turned into really, as I looked at that last week, there's really three key times that Jesus showed up after his resurrection and he showed up to people who didn't at first recognize him. And so that got me to thinking about it, and the Lord began to show me some things about that to really becomes like a, a little mini-series within a series. And so we're going to take the second step of this uh, mini-series and uh, talk about this morning about another person that Jesus appeared to where at first she didn't recognize him. Now, this doesn't include a meal, so forgive me for the theme kind of moving off from this because they weren't eating at this point. They were actually right there at the tomb where Jesus rose from. So the thing that we're going to look about this morning is not so much what we're talking about. That was last week. But we're going to talk more about this morning about what we feel, our emotions. Emotions are a huge part of who God has created us to be. We would be some very boring people if we had no emotions. But think about it. We get mad. We get happy. We laugh. We cry. We get excited. We get scared. We love. We hate. I mean, even when Bill was sharing this morning that laughter doeth a good like a medicine, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine is true. I love to laugh. I would, how many would rather laugh than cry? Right? right? So, so God gives us these wonderful things to laugh about, and there's some good humor that makes us laugh, and there's some other humor that's not so great that we need to kind of stay away from, right? But there's some good, healthy, hearty, holy laughter and humor that we can enjoy, laugh about ourselves. I know I laugh about myself an awful lot. I laugh about other people a lot, too, about just the funny things that we do. And it's fun to laugh, and it makes us feel good. Sometimes we get sad, and sometimes we get angry. All these sort of things are really just a wide variety of how we act out. Sometimes our emotions are helpful. Sometimes they're harmful. If we get angry a lot, that's not so good, because sometimes we'll act out in ways that we wish we hadn't have. Uh, you know, a lot of times we're cynical. Uh, for example, if the glass is half empty, everything that is acted out and spoken out through those negative lenses of cynicism, that's an emotion, is cynicism. Also, if you're positive, that's an emotion. You tend to act out and speak out in ways that are hopeful. So, I mean, you know, there's things that really impact the way that we, our emotions impact the way that we live out our lives. Emotions make us at times challenging people, don't they? Sometimes they make us enjoyable people, don't they? But always they make us interesting and complex and ultimately human beings because God has made us to be a people of emotion. And Jesus always meets us where we are. He meets us in our joy. He meets us in our sadness. He meets us in whatever season that we may be living and in whatever circumstances that we may be facing. And he's always leading us back to him. 
Last week they were talking about some things and they were discouraged. The Bible describes them as, as with their heads down because they thought that Jesus was going to be the guy that was going to bring them out of the bondage of the Roman rule. And so they're a little bit distracted by that and they were a little bit discouraged. And Jesus brought them back, you know. Today we're going to see someone else who, was, who had a deeper emotion and her, hers was one of sadness, deep sadness, sorrow in fact. And so this story that we're going to look at, this second encounter that Jesus had after his resurrection was with someone who didn't recognize him at first. And so we asked the question, why didn't Mary Magdalene recognize Jesus? Well, as I said last week, it was more of what they thought until Jesus set them straight. So today we're going to see Mary didn't recognize Jesus because of how she felt. So let's look at John chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 11. And it says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And they've taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they put him. Now, if it were me, I'd probably put a little bit more emphasis on that story right there to say, what are you guys doing in there, and who are you, and are you angels, and oh my goodness, and that's a whole other story right there, isn't it? But it just kind of glosses over that, doesn't it? So we just have to, I guess Mary was in so much despair or maybe she just took it at face value that those guys were not, they were human and they were just, I don't know, it's kind of weird. It's kind of a weird part of the story. It doesn't say anything about how she felt. She was in, in so much sorrow, she realized that Jesus was God. But then it says, as she turned around, she saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize that it was Jesus. There you go. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Remember that question. Then he asked a second question. Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. Just one word. And then she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers. And tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told him that he had said these things to her. So who's Mary Magdalene? Just for a second, let's get a little backstory of Mary Magdalene. She was a close follower of Jesus. If you read in one of the Gospels, she had a lot to be grateful for because she had actually had seven demons in her that Jesus cast out. And freed her from that wickedness of demonic uh, bondage, really, in her life. And so she gladly and she wholeheartedly followed Jesus from that moment. How many are so thankful that he's delivered you from sin so much you realize what he's rescued you from that you can't help but serve him, amen? You can't help but wholeheartedly follow Jesus Christ. That's the kind of life that he wants us to live, and that it's not lukewarm, it's not halfway half-hearted, but that we would be wholeheartedly following him because he's what he's done for us. Amen. He saved us from our sins. He's delivered us from, from eternity uh, in hell. He has delivered us from the bondage of sin. Aren't you thankful this morning for what he's done for us? So Mary Magdalene, she apparently was a woman of means because it says in another part of the Gospels that her, as well as other women, helped support Jesus' ministry financially. Thank God for rich women, amen, who support ministry, and rich men who help support ministries, amen. Now, she remained with Jesus throughout his ministry as you read uh, about Mary. She never really left his side 
she was there in his ministry. She was there when he was put on trial. She was there as he was hanging on the cross. She watched him die. She watched him breathe his last. And she also was the first one to the tomb early that morning. If you read just a few verses before that, it was still dark whenever she got up and got herself prepared with the embalming uh, spices that she had. And she was going to take and, and embalm, finish embalming the dead body of Jesus in one last loving act to the one who had changed her life. Mary, at that point, though, when she saw that Jesus' body was missing, she was filled with sorrow. Her hopes were dashed. Her dreams were shattered. So as she approached the tomb, she saw the stone rolled back and the body of Jesus missing. And because of the agony and the sorrow and the sadness she had experienced just a couple of days before when her precious Savior was killed on the cross, when she saw him die and her hopes were dashed, and now his body was missing, she couldn't take it anymore. She broke down in utter sadness and she wept, the Bible describes it, as she's wept deeply. It wasn't just a little bunch of tears. It was a deep, deep sorrow. Have you ever been there? The depths of the sorrow that you feel where your whole body just groans in the sadness of the moment. That's where she was. I just want you to feel that that's where she was. It wasn't just a little momentary thing. She was immersed in sadness and immersed in probably even depression and discouragement. She was completely taken over at that point. She had reached her emotional bottom. How many's ever been there? Yeah, well, this message is for you today. Have you ever been spent? Have you ever been tapped out completely? Have you ever been drained dry emotionally? Maybe it was something as briefly intense as watching a movie thriller. How many has ever watched a movie thriller where you're just sitting there on the edge of your seat, this intensity of the story that just grabs you and doesn't let you go until the final moments of the film and you go, oh, that was a good movie. Boy, it kept me right there with it the whole time. How many knows what I'm talking about? One of those kind of movies, yeah. You don't know how it's going to turn out. You ever been on a roller coaster ride? Boy, I tell you what, that they click, 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 click. You know what's coming. Click, 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 click. You know what's coming. You click, 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 click. Ah, and then you go like that. And you're just holding on to everything you can and just wishing it was over, but at the same time loving every minute of it. It just drains you dry, doesn't it? You, you stop at the end. You, you, while you're driving, you think, I'm not going to ever go on this again. And when you finish, you go, you look at the person and you say, let's do it again. Right? Let's do it again. That was fun. Yeah. That's kind of funny examples, but to be a more serious... Maybe you or a loved one went through a divorce or maybe you or a loved one went through an extended illness or, or maybe a legal challenge or, or maybe they died. Maybe you went through a financial catastrophe that resulted in brokenness or a loss that left you devastated in your world. In whatever way that you went through it, your world was turned upside down. Those are very serious things, and because we are emotional people, we will get sad. We will be deeply sorrowed. We will be discouraged. We will be devastated when things like that happen, and that was Mary at that moment. Her hopes were dashed. Her Savior and her Lord had been taken from her. Her future was uncertain, and she was completely overtaken by her circumstances, but then... 
As she looked inside the tomb, these two angels seated there, asked her a question. And if you read the story again, it's almost like the angels were asking her what's wrong, but looking kind of just over her shoulder. Because something caused Mary to turn around. So it's almost like they said, what's wrong? Why are you weeping? It's like they just pointed behind her. Why are you weeping? Let me just point you. That's kind of what I'm doing here today, by the way, is why are you weeping? Why are you in so much sorrow? Can I just point you to Jesus? You may not recognize him right now because you're in so much deep sorrow, but can I just point you to Jesus right now? I'm just, I'm looking over your shoulder right now saying, just don't look now, but look behind you because guess what? He's right there. He's right there. Mary turned around and she saw Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. She was so immersed in her sorrow. She was so devastated, she didn't realize that Jesus was standing right in front of her. Let me tell you this morning that in your devastation, in your depression, in your sadness, in your sorrow, in your totally incomprehensible, incomprehensible situation and circumstance that you may find yourself in here today, Jesus is right there with you. He has never left you. He's fully aware of what you're going through. And that's why we asked that question last week. If, would you recognize Jesus if he were to show up? As you're walking down your path like those two guys were, Jesus were just to show up, would you just think him being another wayfaring traveler with you that's commiserating with the circumstances of life? Or would you recognize him as being your savior, your Lord, your ever-constant companion, your healer, your guide, your strength, all that you need? Would you recognize him? Or like Mary, are you too filled with sorrow as she was to truly see him in her circumstances? Do you sometimes struggle to see Jesus in your circumstances? Jesus is there with you all the way. His word promises he'll never leave us. His word promises he'll never forsake us. He promises to be with you in the good times. He promises to be with you in the bad times. He promises to be with you in the joys of your life, and he promises to be with you in the sorrows of your life. He promises that no matter what, he's going to be with you, and one day he's going to take you to heaven, and he's going to be with you forever. So you'll never be without Jesus. From this moment on, let me remind you, in your deepest, darkest sorrow, you will never be without Jesus for all of eternity from this moment on. In case you didn't know it, up to this point, from this moment on, know this. You'll never be without Jesus. No matter what, he's with you. Isn't that good to know? Isn't that good to know? Do you believe me this morning is probably the second question. It's like, yeah, right, pastor, you don't know my situation. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do with his promises. He's promised to never, never leave you or forsake you. That doesn't mean, well, I'll be with you in the good times, but the bad times, you're on your own. When things get better, come on by and I'll be there again. No, he's with you through it all. He's promised that. Believe it, even though you may not feel it. Then Jesus asked two important questions to Mary. And then he uttered also one simple word that changed everything for Mary. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The first question that Jesus asked Mary is, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? It's okay to sorrow, you guys. Crying and weeping are healthy. They're necessary. Crying is cathartic. Crying is healing to our bodies. 
God designed us as human beings to cry and to weep when sad things happen to us. Go ahead and cry all that you need to if it makes you feel better. Cry. Please cry. Cry on someone's shoulder. Cry in your prayer closet. Cry. As long as you need to, cry. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean we can't cry and doesn't mean we can't be sad. Okay? Don't, don't let any pastor or anybody tell you, well, if you're sad and you're depressed and you're crying, you just must not be, you know, something's wrong with your walk with the Lord. No, there's nothing wrong with your walk with the Lord. God made you to cry and to be sad and to be sorrowful and sometimes depressed and discouraged. It's okay. The enemy would try to tell you that you're not a strong enough Christian, you're not a good enough Christian because you're crying and you're sad all the time or whatever. No, there's nothing wrong with being sad. Just don't live there. Being sorrowful doesn't mean that you don't have faith. Hear me this morning. It doesn't mean that you're not good, strong Christians. It doesn't mean anything other than that you're a human being who faces sorrowful times that makes you cry. It's okay to cry. But as we grieve and as we cry and as we experience sorrow, let's be reminded about that last part of 1 Thessalonians 4.13. that says that we shouldn't sorrow as those who have no hope. We grieve like the rest of men. Let's not grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Let's not do it. If we are not in Christ, then we are utterly devastated in our grief because there's nobody that's going to be there to help us. We may have some alcohol to help us. We may have some drugs to help us. We may have some relationships that are not of God to help us. We may have some things that we can buy that might help us, but all those are temporary and all those are shallow and all those are incomplete. Christ is our complete. He, in, in Him, we're complete. In Christ, we're complete. In our sorrow, in Christ, we're complete. In our sadness, in Christ, we're complete. We grieve and we sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our hope is in Christ. Amen? And so we can grieve. So it doesn't say we shouldn't sorrow. It just says we shouldn't sorrow as those who have no hope. In other words, we can sorrow, but our sorrow is based on a hope that we have. So we're not going to stay there. But Mary, she had lost hope. She didn't bring... By the way, listen to this. Mary brought some embalming spices, didn't she? Which tells you her frame of mind. He's dead. He's not going to come alive again. My hope is lost. This is it. Mary did not bring a crowbar to the tomb. Well, I'm just going to pry this thing open and let my alive Jesus come on out because I know he's alive. It doesn't say anything about a crowbar, does it? She didn't bring some, some dudes along with him to say, hey, come help me roll this stone away because Jesus is in there and he's alive. Mm -mm. She brought some embalming spices which tells you that she was completely convinced that all of her hope was lost. So let me ask you this. Are you bringing a crowbar to your situation? Or are you bringing some embalming spices? It's a good question to ask. How are we approaching our faith in Christ? How are we approaching his promises in his word? How are we approaching in this deep sorrow and depression and discouragement that we are in are we just adding to it by saying, well, it's dead and there's no hope. So here's some embalming spices to complete the process. Instead, let's bring our crowbar of faith. Amen. Say, wait a minute. 
here's my dreams. And as far as I'm concerned, they're not dead. I'm not going to bring some embalming spices to this situation. I'm bringing a crowbar to it. Amen. Maybe it's time for us to start walking around with a crowbar instead of some embalming spices. Amen. Do you hear me this morning? Maybe it's time for us to speak to those dry bones to come to life. Amen. Maybe it's time for us to stop looking at the circumstances that we see with our eyes and begin to declare some things, church, in faith. That we can't, uh, faith that we can't see. We can, and we can watch some things begin to turn around in our lives. Amen? Fact is, is we're going to experience disappointments in our life. And we're going to have misunderstandings in our life. And we're going to experience the loss of a loved one. Yes, a loss of a dream. A loss of a relationship. And when those things happen, we will weep. Weeping is part of life, but it doesn't need to be the foundation upon which we build our lives. It doesn't need to define us going forward. Well, that dream died, that person died, that situation, that circumstance. Don't let it define us going forward. As we said a few weeks ago, my, one of my favorite scriptures of the Bible is that it came to pass. It didn't come to stay, it came to pass. It's a season. It's a moment in our lives, but it shouldn't define us going forward. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Folks, it's time for us to stop living in the night, and let's realize that morning is on the way, and we need to live in the morning, because there's joy there. There's rejoicing. In other words, rejoicing. If you sorrow, and if you weep, and if all you say is the negative, and all the stuff, that's not going to lift your spirits, but what happens when you rejoice? Right? The Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I don't know about you, but I think we'd all be better off doing a little less weeping and a little more rejoicing in the Lord. Amen? Why can we rejoice in the midst of sorrow? As Christians, we have the best reason of anyone to do so. Because our weeping is done through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? I'm going to weep and I'm going to sorrow and I'm going to experience situations in my life. But guess what? There's a better day coming. And I may not see it happen on this earth, but I know one day he's coming back for me. And my sorrow is going to be turned to joy. My mourning is going to be turned into dancing. One day for all of eternity. My earthly sorrow may last for a moment, but our joy in Christ will last for an eternity. Jesus is making all things new. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is coming back to set things right again. Amen? So Jesus asks us today, why are we weeping? Again, we have a legitimate reason to weep. Life is hard. Issues arise. Things are challenging. I get it. The world hates Jesus. They hated him so much they killed him. And they hate him today so much that they kill and chastise his followers even today. We're in an age of grace and anger. We're in an age of forgiveness and evil. We're in an age of rejoicing and struggle. But one day all that anger and that evil and that struggle is going to be gone forever because Jesus is coming to make all things right forever. There's this stress, there's this tension between these two worlds that's happening right now. That's why we experience the grace and the anger, the forgiveness and the evil, the rejoicing and the struggle kind of all together. It's kind of overwhelming sometimes, but Jesus actually described this when he was talking with his disciples in John chapter 16. I'm going to go to verse 20 and do read verse 22 and read verse 33. And this is Jesus telling us today, very truly, I tell you, you're going to weep and mourn while the world rejoices. 
You kind of see that, don't you? I mean, evil is having its heyday, and they're rejoicing and parting it up. Evil is having its moment in time. And the church is kind of sitting here weeping and mourning, saying, Lord, our hope is in you. Where are you? What's going on, right? Hold on, church. Hold on, church. You're going to weep and mourn while the world rejoices. He continues by saying, you're going to grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. There's the promise that we have in front of us. Now is your time of grief, Jesus says, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one's going to take that joy away from you. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Oh, but thank God, take heart. I have overcome the world. So you see what's going on. We got the grief, we got the sorrow, but it also mentions about rejoicing. There's joy and there's peace. You see that, you see that tension that's there in his description? We're going to experience all of these things. But one day, he's getting ready to make it new and right for all of eternity. This tension is normal, in other words. What we're facing and dealing with on a day-to-day basis is normal. And it's expected. And it's part of our journey called life. But I'm so thankful that Jesus is with me and is with you, with all of us, through it and in it to help us all. Amen? Amen. So the first question was, why are you weeping? And then the second question Jesus asked Mary was, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Notice that Jesus didn't ask Mary, what are you looking for? Jesus asked Mary, who are you looking for? You know, we have a battle ongoing in our hearts today, church. And it's happening in every one of our lives. No one is exempt. Our flesh goes after the what, but our spirits cry out for the who. There's that tension again. Ecclesiastes is a book filled with some of what I like to call cynical wisdom. It was written from a vantage point of someone who had been there and done that. Many think that the author was King Solomon, who started out strong, if you know his story. He started out strong in God, but he ultimately succumbed to the temptations of the things of this world, and he didn't really finish strong. I want to read to you four different passages to kind of give you an idea of, uh, of what I'm talking about here, this author of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 1.8 says, all things are wearisome. <laughs> More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Okay. Ecclesiastes 4.8, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end of his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. He's a real life of the party. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. <laughs> I don't think he'd make a very good counselor. Just, just go kill yourself. Just, just go kill yourself. Just. Ecclesiastes 6, 7. Everyone toil, everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. I mean, just, he's just ugly, you know? I don't think I want to hang out, hang out with this guy too long, you know? I mean, I appreciate, uh, I mean, he's kind of grumpy. He's kind of like a bah humbug sort of guy. But there's still wisdom there. It's kind of coming around the back end of it to kind of grab it, but you can see the wisdom there. And really, it's a warning to all of us to be careful in what we pursue. That's really what he's saying. Wealth, position, popularity, power. King Solomon had all of that, by the way. He was the wealthiest man in the world at that time. Think about it. Yet none of it satisfied him. Jesus told 
the following parable in Matthew 7, verse 24 is where we'll start. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock, Jesus Christ. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great and mighty crash. You know, so really Jesus is asking the right question to us this morning. First off, why are you weeping? Secondly, who are you looking for? Not what are you looking for. If you're looking for a brand new car or a nice new house, a brand new car and a new house aren't coming back for you one day. If you're looking for a lucky leprechaun with a pot of gold to come and surprise you with some wonderful riches, a lottery ticket winner, by the way, that lucky leprechaun isn't coming to take you to heaven one day. What are you looking for? Is not the answer, is not the question. Who are you looking for? Be careful not to pursue things. Be careful not to pursue the what's of life, but instead pursue who? Pursue Jesus. St. Augustine said it this way. Uh, he says, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. It's so true. Our hearts are restless. Church, today, if you're here listening, if you're listening from home, if you're looking for anything else, it will not satisfy. Your hearts will remain restless when you pursue what's and things. And if that becomes your primary goal, your heart will always be restless in that only and, and until you find Jesus and ask him in your heart and allow him to be that satisfaction will your heart find true, complete, and ultimate rest. Pursue Jesus. Uh, I know last week I sang a song from Andre Crouch, if you'll humor me. There's another song from another group uh, called the Lanny Wolf Trio from the 1970s. Who remembers the Lanny Wolf Trio? Oh, just a few. Okay, the rest of you, great songs back then. I grew up with it. My parents listened to that sort of stuff all the time. Between the Gaithers and Lanny Wolf and all the rest of them, man, it was just constantly in my house and just listening in the car and at home. And it's, in my, it's just in my DNA. So I just, and I'm thankful for it, by the way. Kelly, the same way. You grew up in that, we, we, we knew the same songs together. But this one, uh, the chorus goes like this. And if you know it, please sing along. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only he can change your life and make it whole. He'll give you peace you never knew. Real love and joy and heaven too. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. I love that song. That's a song from my childhood that just is there. I mean, it's just a little Rolodex of music that comes out, and it ministers to my heart a lot, those sort of songs. And there's a, such a simple truth to that. So Jesus asked, why are you weeping? He also asked, who are you looking for? And then Jesus says one powerful word to Mary as she frets and as she weeps and as she sorrows. That one word that he says is her name. He says, Mary. Pretty powerful. Because you see, when he says that word, everything changed for her. 
her life pivoted from sorrow and sadness to elation and joy. It went from hopelessness to hope when Jesus said that one word. He uttered this tender refrain of this one word. In fact, the original text of it, her name is not Mary, it's actually Miriam. Her name is Miriam in the Aramaic. So Jesus called her with her native name, called her in her native tongue. This name was spoken by family and close friends. Jesus always called her Miriam when he spoke to her. We know her as Mary Magdalene, but her name was actually Miriam Magdalene. It was this tender and personal calling out to her. He didn't just say, Miriam. He said, Miriam. And that's what he does for us. You may have thought at times that Jesus had forgotten you in your sorrow. You may have thought he was a million miles away in your moment of loss and sadness and depression and discouragement. But he's always been there with you. He's been with you in your joys and in your sorrows. And Jesus knows the intimate details of your broken heart today like no one else. He knows your sadness. He knows your sorrow. He knows your shattered dreams. He knows your difficult season of life that you're in. Jesus knows you by name intimately knows you by name. Isaiah 43, 1 says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. I'll keep that scripture up there for just a minute because I want to take the way the word Jacob and Israel, and I want you to say this out loud with me and where Jacob and Israel are, remove those and put your name there, Okay. Because Jesus is actually talking about you today. When I get to that point, I'm going to say my name, Brian, but I want you guys to say your name. Would you say the scripture with me one more time? But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Brian, he who formed you, O Brian, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Think about how personal that is. When you make scripture personal like that, he's talking to you. He says, I know your name. You are mine. I know the struggles that you're going through. Don't fear. I have redeemed you. Don't be in sorrow. I'm your joy. Don't be discouraged. I'm your gladness. This is what he's saying to us this morning by name, personally, because we serve a personal savior not a corporate savior. He's your personal savior today. You can call him by name and he'll call you back by name. Personally, an intimate name, not just, hey, you. He's calling you Miriam. He's calling you by your intimate name, a loving, tender sound. I imagine that when Jesus said, his, said Miriam's name, there was this tenderness, there was this kindness, there was this loving sort of uh, sound to it when he called her out. Certainly she recognized Jesus when he said her name. There was something there about it. That's the voice that I've been hearing all my life. That's the one that cast the demons out. That's the one that told me, ministered to my heart all these years. That's the voice that we can recognize if we'll just listen. And maybe, maybe that's what Jesus is trying to tell us today. We see the hopelessness. We feel the despair but maybe as we just listen to that still, small, loving, gentle, kind voice of Jesus, intimately calling out our names, intimately calling us to himself, letting us know that everything is going to be all right. At that moment, Miriam's life 
changed. She immediately went from hopeless sadness to abundant joy. And I, I'm sure she cast aside that no longer needed embalming spices. Who needs that? My Jesus is alive. She ran to him and she clung to him. She wasn't going to lose him again. But Jesus reminded her that he needed to go to his father. And the reason he said that is because he needed, to, he needed to go to his father. You can read later on. Jesus says, I'm going to go to my father and your father, my God and your God. Because if I don't, I can't send you my spirit. I can't send you my Holy Spirit. How many is thankful for the Holy Spirit of Christ today? Amen? That's who he sent. It's, 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 it's his presence. It's the presence of Christ. It's his personality. It's his power. It's everything, in, it's everything that Jesus is. It's his Holy Spirit, and he lives in us. Only Jesus in, in his human form could be in one place in one time, but his spirit can be in all of us at the same time. And so we have the life of Christ in us. Isn't that good to know? So he says, don't cling to me. I got to go to my Father. And then he instructed, he says, go tell the others what's going on here, that I'm alive. So how does this look for us today as we, as we bring this home to our, to our lives, today where we are? I asked the question to you, and Jesus asked, why are you weeping? We have a reason at times to be sad. Nothing wrong with that. But folks, let's not let it be the foundation upon which we build our lives. Let it not define who we are going forward. We get sad, we get discouraged, we get depressed, we're deeply sorrowful at times. It's all right, give it to Jesus. He says, why are you weeping? Listen, my hope, the hope that you need to have is in me, not in the situation. I'm there with you in the midst of that. I'm with you. Why are you weeping? It's not so much of, why are you weeping? Man, you should cheer up. That's not what he's asking. He's saying, why are you weeping? Don't lose hope because I'm here. Be sorrowful and sad, but I'm here for you. And I'm going to bring you through. I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to bring you into a place of victory and joy and peace in me. Sorrow lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen? He asked the question, what are you looking for? Actually, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Things can't satisfy. Only Jesus, Jesus can satisfy. Only Jesus. See, he's, today, he's tenderly calling out your name. He's, he's, he's gently, tenderly calling you out to come to him today. When he says your name, be reminded of his promises. Let him know that he's there for you and then tell others about him. He, he's just, this, this sorrow that you're going through, this sadness, it's an opportunity for a testimony. This struggle that you're going through, it's an opportunity to be there for someone else. If you've lost a loved one, you can more effectively minister to someone else who is going through that right now. Because you know what that feels like. If you've been through a sickness that has been devastating and the Lord's brought you through, you can more effectively have compassion and minister to that person. A marriage situation, a marriage struggle, a, a wayward child, a financial crisis, whatever case may be, if you've gone through it and it's brought you that sorrow and that discouragement and that sadness and that depression, Jesus wants you to go through it because it's able to help you to be a more well-rounded person to be able to minister to someone else down the road. Instead, well, I read it in a book somewhere, and as far as I know, you're going to be okay. Man, I'm right there with you. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. It's a personal testimony, a personal experience. I've been there, done that. God brought me through. He'll do the same for you because he's no respecter of persons. I can't call out everybody's name in this place. In fact, I'm not sure I could even, we wouldn't have time to do that, but you know your name. And I just want you to hear right now Jesus calling your name.
intimately. And in fact, it may even help for you to just whisper your, your name as if Jesus were speaking through you. Brian. Yes, Lord. Just like that. Why don't you just whisper your name and let it be the voice of Christ whispering to you. Just do that right now. Just whisper your name. Yeah, just whisper. Go ahead and say it now. Yeah, he's, that's him saying your name. He's, he's saying it lovingly and intimately. And then, just like in the name of Jesus, there's a, a completeness to his name. When he calls our name, he's calling us to him where there's that completeness. He's, what he's doing is he's calling us back to him. He's redirecting us from our sorrow and sadness back to who we, the hope that we have in him. I know you've been through some brokenness. You may be experiencing it right now. You may be in deep sorrow right now. You may have put on the game face to come to church today and put on that happy smiley face because that's what Christians are supposed to do in church. But you can be real here and you can be real before the Lord. He knows what you're going through. And he's just calling out your name. Why are you weeping? Okay, you're going through a difficult time. Maybe you lost a loved one a year or two ago and you still hadn't gotten over it. He knows. But don't live there. You're still alive and you're here for a reason. The God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Live it out. It's all right to honor your loved one. It's all right to remember them well. But he hadn't taken you home yet. So what can we do together to help you fulfill your purposes in Christ? What can you do to be a minister and a blessing to someone else who's going through that devastating time right now? And that's just an example of things that you might be going through right now. My child is wayward and rebellious. Okay, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to live in sorrow and sadness and let that rule your life? Are you going to rejoice in the Lord and trust in Him as He calls your name to say, hey, come on, I'm with you. Let's walk through this together. Let me be your strength. Let me be your help. Let me be your source. You may be looking at a devastating diagnosis and everything looks bad on paper. Are you going to live in that? Are you going to let the Lord lift you up and say, wait a minute, I'm going to keep my eyes on you and help you to walk through this. And He's just calling out your name. That's what he's doing. Gently, tenderly, he's saying, Brian, yeah. Oh, there you are. I lost all hope. I was devastated because I had my eyes on the wrong things. I'm going to lay that embalming stuff aside because I'm going to grab hold of you. I'm not letting you go this time. <laughs> You're my joy. You're all that I need. You're my hope. He's calling your name. He just, he's asking you to come to him in your sorrow. Oh, I feel the Lord here gently calling names today. And I want to open up this altar and just imagine that you would just come to Jesus. I mean, he's here. There's something about getting, getting up and getting out. If you're dealing with some struggles in your life, the sorrows and the... If you've got some embalming spices that you brought into this place today, I want you to come and lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm picking up a crowbar. I'm not going to walk around with this thing anymore like this. My Jesus is alive. My hope is rekindled. My joy is renewed in him.
Maybe you got some embalming spices. You need to just come lay down right now. Maybe that's it. He's calling your name. I can't do this for you. Jesus can. And the invitation's open.